Blog Talk Radio. The B I B I L E that's the book for me. The B I B I L E that's the book for me. sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we'd like to send you a free booklet by John called Is It Real? It's all about helping you answer the vital question, is my salvation the real thing? Request your free booklet by writing to real at gty.org. That's real at gty.org. And this offer is good in North America and Europe through June of 2022. And now, unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur. As we come together this morning for the study of the Word of God, I want to continue in discussing with you the anatomy of the church. We have been, for months now, 
looking at the church and what the church ought to be and what ought to be its life and its emphasis, its ministry. We started out looking at the church in the symbolism of the body of Christ as the New Testament identifies the church as a body. We've extended that metaphor a little bit. We talked about the skeleton of the church, the doctrinal foundations of the church. Then we talked about the internal organs or internal systems of the church, which are the spiritual attitudes that carry the life of the church, things like faith and love and obedience and worship and and forgiveness and things like that. We went through those attitudes week after week. And now finally in our discussion of the church as the body of Christ, we've come to the muscles or the function of the church, what the church actually does, the church in action. And in our last message, we looked at the subject of fellowship. The the action of the church initially is it is a common expression of shared life, shared spiritual life, in which people mutually minister to one another. All of us having been gifted by the Spirit of God for such ministry, and all of us having been called to the responsibilities of discharging the one another's of the New Testament, have a responsibility to each other to minister in the life of the church. It is a mutually ministering group of folks who, by the power of the Spirit of God, serve one another. And we addressed the issue of fellowship. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. I want to go to a second function of the church. And it really is one of the gifts, It really, or, or maybe more than one of the gifts. It really can be identified as several of the gifts. It is that matter of proclaiming truth. We might just simply say preaching. Preaching. It is a function of the church that the Word of God be preached. In fact, let me begin by saying something that I want to plant in your mind, and then I'll repeat it as we go, because I think it's so important. There is really only one primary reason to choose a church. Only one primary reason to choose a church. And that is the character of its preaching. Now, when people evaluate churches, they might evaluate them on the basis of many things, but there's only one that really sets the tone. The single most important reason to choose a church is the nature and character of its preaching and teaching. Where you have strong biblical preaching and teaching, everything else tends toward strength. Where you do not have strong biblical teaching and preaching, everything else is weak and tends toward shallowness. Preaching sets the tone in the church. Proclaiming biblical truth is essential. Why? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, is a critical function in the life of the church. And of course, we live in a time when preaching is being depreciated, and it is being set aside in favor of other forms of communication. But the essential reality for the church, that which basically dictates its strength or weakness, is the character of its preaching and teaching. You show me a church where there is strong biblical preaching and teaching, and I will show you strong people and strong ministry. You show me a church where there is weak biblical preaching, and I will show you a church with weak people and weak ministry. That's just how it goes because the Word of God is the food that makes believers mature. 
and strong. And the reality is that people in churches all across our country and all around the world are frankly starving. I hear it all the time everywhere I go. It comes through the mailbags every day. People saying, I can't find any place where I can be fed. I'm starving here or there or wherever it might be. Where do I find some food for my soul? Isn't anybody going to teach me the Word of God? Cries from people all across the world, really. People are starving. Some of them know what they're starving for. Some of them know they're starving for the knowledge of God which comes through His Word, and some of them don't know it. In fact, there are many people in churches who are starving and don't know what for. They really don't know that what they really need is the clear, penetrating Word of God proclaimed and taught. People are starving for the knowledge of God, whether they know it or not. Some do, some don't. They're starving to know their God deeply, to know Him broadly, to understand the world through His view. They're starving for a sound theology that they can live on, build their life on, be anchored by. They're starving for divine wisdom, which comes through the knowledge of God in His revelation. People are starving for the knowledge of God. People live out their beliefs. We, we live according to our doctrinal standards, our doctrinal convictions. And where they're strong, you tend to have a strong life. Where they're weak, you tend to have a weak life. The Word is the foundation for everything, and God has ordained that it be preached in His church. And that's what makes His church strong. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 for a moment. I'm just going to introduce this this morning and then finish it tonight. I'm going to give you the introduction this morning and the sermon tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, we read this, Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. That's simple enough. Whoever speaks, let him speak the utterances of God. Let him speak what God has spoken. Let him preach the Word. That's what it's saying. Let him tell us about God from God's own revelation. Whoever speaks, let him speak the utterances of God. One of my heroes now with the Lord, the great preachers of the church's history was Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welshman who preached with such great power in London. And looking at his life, one friend said this, He brought more of the sense of God than any other man. That's why he being dead yet speaks. That's why his tapes continue to circulate, though he's long gone. That's why his material is continually put into books and read across the face of the earth, because he brings people to God. When He speaks, He speaks the oracles of God. Back in Isaiah chapter 52, there is a wonderful testimony to the centrality of preaching being the Word of God. In Isaiah 52 and verse 7, familiar words, yet very important. 
How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. In other words, how wonderful it is when a messenger comes running across the mountains with good news. This messenger who comes brings good news, announces peace, brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. How wonderful it is when a messenger comes and tells us about our sovereign God. How wonderful when the messenger stands up and says, your God is in charge. Your God is sovereign in the midst of everything. Good news of peace. Good news of salvation. Good news that God reigns. The preacher brings news about God. He brings news that God saves. That God wants peace with sinners. He brings news that God is in charge no matter how bad things look. Your God reigns. He hasn't abdicated. That's good news. We preach God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit revealed through the Word of God. If any man speaks, let him speak the utterances of God. Not his own opinion. Not somebody else's opinion. Not the collective opinion of any group. Not the contemporary consensus. When you speak, you speak the utterances of God. God has ordained then that people need to know Him and that the way in which they can know Him is when they are given His Word which reveals Him. And God has chosen the means to be preaching. Let me show you this from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this is a very, very important portion of Scripture starting in verse 11 and running down to verse 16. Important enough for me to read it to you and then I'll make some brief comments. Ephesians 4.11, And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers or hyphenated pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Great passage. Profound. Far-reaching. Let me give you this, the sense of it. You start at the end. The very end. That tells you the objective. The Lord wants a church that is whole. A whole body that is fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. In other words, He wants a fully functioning body where every factor is functioning appropriately, where everything is happening exactly the way it ought to happen. Further, He describes that as according to the proper working of each individual part. The Lord wants every individual in His body to be fully functioning so that the body is whole and fully operative because the end of verse 16, this causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The Lord wants to show love to the world, 
God so loved the world that He gave His Son. The Lord wants to demonstrate love to the world. By this shall all men know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. The Lord wants us to radiate His love to the world, His saving love. In order to do that, we need to be built up and mature. In order to be built up and mature, every part of the body must be functioning. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? Back to verse 11. And He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How does it happen that the body is built up in love? How does it happen that the body is fully functioning? How does it happen that the church is everything God wants it to be? It happens through the ministry of preachers and teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. That's how He identifies it. He gave these to the church for the building up of the body, so that in verse 13, it all might attain to the unity of the faith. What does that mean? Sound faith, not the unity of faith subjective, but the unity of faith objective, doctrine. The church needs to be built up in sound doctrine. Notice verse 13. It needs to come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. And that is to say it needs to think broadly and deeply and highly about the person of Jesus Christ and be enraptured with the fullness of His glory. It needs to be Christ-centered as well as having sound doctrine. Then it can be a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's to be Christ-like, and that is to have the full knowledge of Christ and, and a full foundation of sound doctrine. Verse 14 suggests that the church is not to be like a little child that gets tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So many churches are infantile and immature, and they are easily distracted and drawn away by error and deception and lies and false teaching. The Lord wants a full church a whole church, a mature church, a fully functioning church, a church that is like Jesus Christ, a church where there's unity of doctrinal understanding, where there's a complete absorption in the knowledge of the person of the Son of God, where there is Christ-likeness. He wants that church to stand up mature at its Christ-likeness and radiate His love to a, a lost world. And in order to bring the church to that place, it says in verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor-teachers. Preachers. Apostles and prophets were preachers. The apostles were those unique ones called alongside Jesus, the twelve, to whom Jesus gave a commission to go and preach. And, of course, it was their preaching that established the foundation of doctrine so that the early church in Acts 2.42 studied the apostles' doctrine. And then once the church was established, the Lord ordained preachers in the churches called prophets early. And they were those who spoke for God in the local churches. They were the proclaimers of truth. Now, the apostles and the prophets were the foundation. Ephesians 2.20 says He gave apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church. After the foundation, when the edifice began to go up, the apostles and the prophets were replaced by the evangelists and the teaching pastors. The evangelists do what the apostles did. The apostles were messengers who took the gospel. Evangelists are those who preach the gospel to the unconverted. They win people to Christ. They plant churches, establish churches, reach lost people, bring them into the church. And pastor-teachers replaced the prophets who then took the church and nurtured and gave God's Word to the church. 
But the point that I'm making is that all that God has designed for the fullness of the maturity of His church to the full stature of Christ's likeness is achieved through the ministry of preaching and teaching by gifted men. That's the life of the church. Jesus established the model. Let's go back to the Gospels in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. As we enter into this fourth chapter, Jesus has gone through the temptation in the wilderness. He has been baptized. He's been set apart for His ministry. And now, after the baptism of Jesus, after His temptation in the wilderness, He begins His ministry. And I want you to notice it in verse 17. From that time, at the very outset of His ministry, Jesus began to what? Preach. And say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a summary of His sermon, not the whole thing. Jesus began to preach. God sent Jesus into the world to preach. Somebody said God had only one son. He made Him a preacher. He came into the world to preach. That was God's ordained way to communicate His truth, to take His written Word, His revealed Word, and give it to men through the proclamation of a gifted man, Jesus the preacher. Look at Luke chapter 4, and I want you to see the flow here. Luke chapter 4, verses 43 and 44. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God. What is that? Everything about God, everything that fits in God's dominion, everything that fits in God's realm. I must preach the kingdom of God. And by the way, He did until His ascension. Even after His resurrection, He spoke to them of things concerning the kingdom of God. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I'm sure there might have been some people who would have quibbled with His methodology, who would have suggested that uh, maybe preaching wasn't the best means. Maybe there were some more sophisticated ways to communicate truth to the Jewish culture. But Jesus was a preacher, and thus, by God's design. Go back to Matthew chapter 10, and let's see how He passed on that responsibility to His disciples. Jesus called together the disciples, the twelve apostles, in verse 2. Simon and Andrew and James and John and Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas. Calls together His twelve apostles. And in verse 7 it says, He said this to them, And as you go, preach. Preach. And say this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go preach, he said. God sent his son into the world. He was a preacher. He chose 12 men to come alongside of him, and he made them preachers. Look at Acts chapter 10. Here is one of those 12, namely Peter. And he is in the house of Cornelius preaching, doing what he was commissioned to do. And he preaches and identifies in verse 42 why he preaches. He says this, Acts 10:42, And he ordered us to preach to the people 
and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He said he told us to preach, to preach the gospel. So Jesus was a preacher, and Jesus ordained twelve other preachers. After the twelve came another apostle, namely Paul. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Paul was not included among the twelve, but came later. He is sort of the third generation of preachers. And when he came to conversion, he came to know the Lord and was saved. He immediately began to preach. Back in verse 11 of Galatians 1, he talks about the gospel which was preached by me. But notice over in verse 23, when the Jews heard this former persecutor of Christians, this Christian killer, now preaching, this is what they said, verse 23, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Jesus was a preacher. The apostles were preachers. Paul was a preacher. Paul had a protege. Who was Paul's son in the faith? Timothy. What did he say to Timothy as he was coming to the end of his life in ministry? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he said, Timothy, preach the Word. He made Timothy into a preacher. And he said, Timothy, preach it in such a way to faithful men that they'll be able to preach it also, and the chain has been unbroken. It's a long line of preachers. That's been God's ordained means. Nothing's changed. This is God's design. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know there are people today who would like to substitute a music group or a drama team for the preacher. I know there are people who would like to take the Word of God out of the preacher's mouth and put something more quote-unquote relevant into it. I know there are people who think that the preacher who preaches the Word of God is out of touch with where people are and that the most important thing about communication is finding out exactly where people are and crossing the bridge of where they are. I know there are people like that today, and uh, there were people like that in Paul's day too. Paul went to Corinth. Corinth was a very sophisticated city. It wasn't a very old city. About a hundred years old it had been rebuilt by the Romans about a hundred years before Paul got there. It was a fairly new city. It was a crossroads city. On the uh, sort of uh, on the peninsula between Greece and Macedonia, it was a crossroads of the world. There, it was a dynamic city. It was a wicked, wicked city. In fact, the verb in the Greek to Corinthianize means to go to bed with a prostitute. The town was synonymous with prostitution. It was, in every sense, the worst and best of pagan culture. Very sophisticated, had the the, the worship of all the reigning deities had the trafficking of all the current philosophies and theories of life and time and eternity. It was all there. The Epicureans were there. The Stoics were there. Everybody was there. It was the crossroads of thought. Paul went into that city. Now, if you were living in modern times, somebody would want to sit down with him and tell him he needed to study the cultural bridges so he could figure out which one to cross to get to those people, and he needed to really be sensitive to how they thought and how they acted and how they responded and what their world was like and what it felt like to be a Corinthian. And, and certainly, you're not in utter disregard of that. 
But I want you to notice how Paul approached this very sophisticated city. If there was one thing that they loved in Corinth, it was oratory. They, they were utterly enamored with fancy talkers. In fact, people used to stand on the shore and put smooth rocks in their mouth and practice speaking, speaking to increase their enunciation. Great stories exist about that. Oratory was revered. Complicated, difficult philosophies were held in high esteem. Somebody might have said, now, Paul, if you're going to go in there, you've got to be sharp, you've got to be smooth, you've got to be clever, you've got to be glib, you really got to understand where they're at and so forth. But listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Stop there a minute. He took them on at the very point of their cultural identity. He said, the one thing I will not do is meet you on the ground of cleverness of speech. Whether that enamors you or not is immaterial. Christ didn't send me to baptize. Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Because that could make the cross of Christ void. I could cancel out the reality of my message if I get it garbled up in contemporary jargon. And he says in verse 18, I know this, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, what? Foolishness. That's how it is. To people who are perishing, it is foolishness. It always will be foolishness. But... To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That simple preaching of the gospel, he talks about it in chapter 2, preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified in weakness, fear, and trembling, not in persuasive words of wisdom. That simple, trembling, humble preaching of the gospel caused people to criticize Paul mercilessly. They said his speech is contemptible, 2 Corinthians 10. They said his presence, his presence is inadequate, unimpressive. The man is too simplistic. There's nothing about him that charms us. He lacks oratorical ability. Where is the great wisdom coming out of this man's mouth? Where are the clever ditties? All it is is this simple cross business. But to those who are perishing, that's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And since God is determining who's being saved, better to stick with the power, right? It is written, verse 19, quoted out of Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. You know, God gets great pleasure in ignoring man's egotistical, cultural thought patterns and just cutting to the core with the simplicity of the gospel. And that's because of verse 21, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of preaching, literally in the Greek, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. The point is simply this, very, very profound point. For centuries, since the fall, man has been trying to come to God through human wisdom and never succeeded. So, since the world, through its wisdom, has never come to know God, 
God has been pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. It's not a question of how sophisticated can you be or how clever can you be or how culturally astute can you be or how relevant can you be. It's a question of how clear can you be. How clear can you be in articulating the gospel, the good news? It is God's design through the foolishness of preaching. And I know in the eyes of many in the world, I'm a fool and any preacher is a fool. That's all right. That gives God all the glory when people hear fools and are powerfully transformed. You see, God has so designed, and it's because it's His choice to do so, from before the foundation of the world, certain men and women would come to know Him and be a part of His eternal kingdom. Their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then God designed that they would come to faith through hearing the message preached. That's the plan. I really don't want to mess with the plan. My responsibility is to be faithful as a preacher. To preach the Word in season, out of season. When it's popular, when it's not. That's the plan. That God, through the foolishness of preaching, saves those who believe. That's His purpose. People say... Uh, why do you have such an emphasis in your church on preaching and teaching? Now you know, right? I remember a man was asking me about our services some years back. And he said, uh, tell me about your worship service. He was a pastor. And I said, sure. I said, we sing and pray and um, praise the Lord together as a congregation. And then I preach. Well, how long is your service? Oh, long. <laughs> now we're in... 30 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes sometimes. Uh, well, how much time do you take in that service? Oh, about 50 minutes or so. And he said this, well, you're, you're really interrupting worship with all that talking. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Martin Luther said this. He was right. The highest worship of God is the preaching of His Word. That's right. You as a congregation cannot honor God more than by listening reverently to His Word with an obedient heart. You can't honor Him more. You can't worship Him more than by listening to His Word with an obedient heart. That's the supreme act of worship. I'm not here to interrupt your worship. I'm here to focus your worship on the God who is being revealed in His Word. Preaching. I tell you, it breaks my heart to see preaching being diminished as it is today. To, to see preachers being diminished. The preaching of the Word of God uh, um, is God's plan, but it's being diminished in our time. And a lot of young men Maybe 15 years ago, a gifted young men would have gone off to seminary and learned how to be expositors of the Word of God are now enamored by media kind of things and enamored by the relevancy kind of new wave preaching, and they're turning away from the Word of God, and we're losing men who would be gifted, and I'm sure it grieves the heart of God, and that's one of the reasons why we're so excited to put this building up and to keep training men who are committed to teaching and preaching the Word of God according to the way that God has laid out the plan. 
I mean, throughout the history of the church, basically the, the force, the power of the church were the great men who preached and taught the Word of God. Times have changed. And we need to see God raise up some great preachers in the days ahead. But that's what we do as a church. If you wonder why we do what we do here, this is why we do it, because this is what the Word of God tells us to do, to open the Scripture and to, to introduce you to the God who's revealed there, right? In all His fullness. So I go right back to where I started. The primary purpose for choosing a church is the biblical preaching. That's why you choose a church. Because that's what makes every other area strong and conforms it all to the Word and to the God of the Word. And therein lies the power. Well, tonight I'm going to preach the sermon from 2 Timothy 4. I want to take you into 3 and 4. Preach the Word. What does that mean? What's the context of that? Great, great passage. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with grace to you. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit grace to use website at gty.org. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. To praise the one who has the crown In today's lesson, we'll talk about the Holy Bible The most important book we all need for survival The Bible is God's message for this world It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl And that message is that if we turn to Christ And place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life Now when we're at church, yeah, it's 
fun, it's cool When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school Like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel David and Jonah, Joseph and Samuel But all the little stories tell one big story About the God who made all things for his glory So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this There's only one hero and his name is Jesus Where should we begin when God made the whole wide world just by speaking? By his great might, he said, let there be light. The light he called day and the dark he called night. He made the earth and the seas, the dirt and the seeds, the herds and the trees, the birds and the bees. But the big surprise God had up his sleeve on day number six created Adam and Eve. In the image of the beautiful most high God told them be fruitful and multiply Everything's yours but that tree do not try Cause in the day you eat it You're surely gonna die I'm sure you know the rest Yes they failed the test And ever since then the world has been a big mess So as we read the Bible it's important that we see this There's only one hero and his name is Jesus When we read God's word today, the greatest saints had their flaws on full display. And it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a staff. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. Truth in Love. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Noah's Ark Attraction, the Ark Encounter, south of Cincinnati. What should the Christian response be to homosexual behavior, transgender issues, and everything else belonging to the LGBT spectrum? Well, some Christians who are trying to be accepting and loving support such behavior. Others, knowing scripture condemns homosexual behavior and affirms our male and femaleness, may have a harsh and judgmental attitude. But the Apostle Paul gives us the proper response. We're to speak the truth in love. Now, we can't ignore truth for the sake of so-called love. We need to call sin what it is. But we also need to do so in a loving way that points people toward forgiveness through Christ. That should be our ultimate purpose. There's so much more to learn about the truth of God's Word and the Gospel at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged when you visit AnswersRadio.com.
And such were some of you. This is Ken Ham, inviting you to have an encounter with God's Word at the Ark Encounter. The Apostle Paul has a beautiful reminder for us as Christians. In one of his letters, he writes that the unrighteous, such as the covetous, drunkards, and those who practice homosexuality, won't inherit God's kingdom. Then he reminds his readers, such were some of you. All of us were on that list of those who won't inherit God's kingdom before he saved us. But that's what we were. Now we are forgiven, righteous children of God. Wow. When reaching others with the gospel, no matter the sins they're committing, we need to remember that we too were once separated from God and filled with sin. But Jesus Christ saved us. Plan your visit to the full-size Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to our website, AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or read a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. I have a Bible that I read. I know the truth and I believe. 
This is Ken Ham, editor of the Apologetics book series, The New Answers Books. Many Christians are shocked by how quickly our culture has embraced all forms of homosexuality and transgender behavior. But we shouldn't be surprised. You see, by and large, our culture has replaced God's word with man's word. Instead of thinking by starting with the Bible, our culture is doing whatever is right in its own eyes. This should impact how we reach those in the LGBT community. You see, there's a difference of foundation. They're starting with man's word, but we must start with God's word. Since God is our creator, he alone has the right to tell us what to do. And he has given us a firm foundation for morality, marriage, and gender in his word. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. Na 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 na
is righteous. No, not one. This is Ken Ham inviting you to visit our Ark Encounter south of Cincinnati. Many Christians wonder how they can lovingly witness to homosexuals or transgender individuals. Well, start by showing them that God is the creator of the universe, including marriage and gender. Because he's the creator, only he has a right to set the rules. But Adam disobeyed God, and since then, we've all broken God's commandments. Point out that scripture says that all have sinned and no one is righteous. Now that's the bad news everyone must hear. But then there's the good news. Jesus took our sin penalty for us by dying on the cross. And he defeated death by rising from the dead. 
Now he freely offers forgiveness to all who believe. Plan your visit to our life-size Noah's Ark when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Children are free this year, and it's a great experience for the whole family. Visit AnswersRadio.com.
Should we embrace sin? This is Ken Ham, author and speaker on Genesis and the entire Bible's reliability. As our culture increasingly celebrates sin in the name of inclusion, more and more Christians are too. But they're forced to radically reinterpret or ignore the Bible to do so. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God is the creator of everything, including marriage and gender. These aren't man-made constructs that we can change to suit sinful desires. They're established by God. As Christians, obedience to God and His Word must be of primary importance, not gaining popularity with the world. After all, Jesus said they hated Him, and they'd hate us for following Him. Speaking the truth, it's unpopular. Find more resources to equip you to think biblically and share the gospel with others when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah, a mighty fortress. A mighty fortress.
He would be much happier at home with a husband and children. Oh, boy. Oh, those horrible, horrible days when women had no right. He's right. Let's bring them back. Let's get back to those days. Every woman needs to be herself at times. Your answer? Baking. If you're cold in hell before I get my salary from a woman. Women, submit to your husband. <clears throat> oh, that is so puritanical. No. That's like a Neanderthal. That's barbaric. Get into the 21st century, daddy-o. That's just sexist. It's funny. Nobody says that about being a parent. I'm being an ageist because I think that God has given me authority over my children. It's funny. We don't call parents ageist for saying, well, yeah, that's that's my rule. That is what God has given to me to do in this relationship, but for some reason we do when it comes to husband and wife. The question, of course, is what is meant by submit to your husband? What does that look like? Sadly, it has been abused. I don't believe women should vote. Mm, That's a foul. Instead, submission is far more Trinitarian by studying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit We get a really good idea of what this thing is to look like, and it is not a lording of authority over another, and it's certainly not licensed for abuse. The Father, he, if you will, is the one to whom the Son and the Holy Spirit submit. That's right. There is an economy in the Trinitarian Godhead. There is an order. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In other words, they have rules. It is technically called the economic subordination doctrine of the Trinitarian Godhead, that in order for it to work, for three equals, three equals to actually get along and to have harmony, Somebody has to say, the final call is yours. If you want to make the plan, I'm on board because I am willingly submitting to you. In the Trinity, Jesus is no less than the Father. The Holy Spirit is no less than the Son and the Father. And yet, in order for things to operate, the Son and the Spirit submit so that there is orderliness. It really has been the abuse of this doctrine and the world yelling at you. This is a man's world. We don't submit. We're equals in everything. Well, in one sense, of course we are. In God's economy, there's no difference in value of male and female, and yet he has designed us really with different skills, different roles, different attributes, and to be in a relationship together where there is orderliness by the wife submitting to the husband and the husband lovingly leading the wife. Bailiff, please have the witness put the right... An atheist posited this question. If God created time, doesn't that require time to create time? The idea of God creating time, that that needs time for him to make time, Right? We're, we're, we're talking created time. He made it. You don't need it to make it. In, in my view, my opinion here, the first moment where the universe stuff exists is the first moment. So in the first moment, it just was. So the idea is that God created not just out of 
time, he makes time, or that it takes a moment to make time. It's just that there's a first moment, and to me, this magnifies the incredible power of the one that made time. Does the fear of the Lord mean scared sometimes, but no? Inherently, it does not mean scared. In some contexts, you could be afraid of God. There are those who have a proper fear because judgment's coming upon them. But the phrase fear of the Lord as something that simply all people should have as a proper thing, that does not mean scared. Fear of the Lord, that's a concept. We kept the term, but we lost the meaning. We tend to think of fear as being terror and horror movies and scary stuff like that. But there's another concept, fear of the Lord, and the way fear has been used historically and in Scripture, that means reverence and awe, and not just reverence like I'm totally safe reverence. Reverence that includes the idea that you're the boss in charge of me, and you have the right and power to judge me. Democrats like Stephen Colbert, Kamala Harris, Kim Taji Jackson Brown, and Nancy Pelosi. They are Christians. I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic. I learned that to really listen to the teachings of Christ, one must think of our faith as a verb. Senator, personally, my faith is very important uh, as a devout Catholic and mother of five. But are they really? This is Pride Month, the time of the year when we all celebrate the LGBTQ community. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Got in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Let me just say that I'm a big supporter of Roe v. Wade. Of course. I've been confused about what type of talk is considered gossip. I don't want to be doing it, but sometimes it's hard for me to tell if it's gossip or not. How do I tell what it is and what is and isn't gossip? Proverbs tells us that gossip is like giving people tasty morsels. The words of a, a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Proverbs takes wisdom to understand, and I think the wisdom here is to say, when you hear the whispers, w- whispers implying these are things that... Um, you wouldn't say openly in front of everybody. That might be a clue that it might be gossip, is that I have to whisper or I'm saying it privately, I'm looking at it secretly because I wouldn't want other people to know. They're like delicious morsels. In other words, it's enjoyable, it's pleasurable, and it goes to your inner parts, which means it comes inside of you and affects you and impacts you. You aren't unimpacted when you listen to gossip. It's wrong to give it, and it's wrong even to listen to it. Godly Christian character can be tested often by the words that come out of our mouths. And so, when in doubt, just don't say anything. Secret on page 164. It says, you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificent. You are the creator, and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. Now, let me correct this. Jesus is God in a physical body. Jesus is spirit in the flesh. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is a cosmic being. Jesus is all power. Jesus is all wisdom. Jesus is all intelligence. Jesus is perfection. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is the creator. This is the serpent's lie, the first lie ever told to mankind that we could be like God. My country tears with me. Sweet land of liberty and fiat. 
So ethnic groups are actually meant to ultimately glorify the one who is going to be able to bring us together. Because when we become Christian, I'm not a white Christian. You're not a black Christian. We're Christians. You happen to be black. I happen to be white. But that's not what identifies me. So I'm like, I can be a, like a total brother of yours, totally loving you because we're in Christ. And our skin colors, our socioeconomic levels, our genders, all of that stuff just fades because of our new identity. That means everybody whose identity in Christ is a brother or sister, and I don't care what skin color they are. I don't care how much money they have. All I know is we're in Christ together, the only one who can unify us. That's why I think there's different ethnic groups. So that's why I think there are different ethnic groups, so that God can prove that he can do what man can't. I believe that. I strongly believe that. And I'm, like, nodding my head. You just were spitting out. That was really good. I mean, I, I think that's kind of a dumb reason to have ethnic groups. You do not need to be embarrassed that you are terrified to share your faith. We all are, but we do all need to overcome our terrors and get about the business of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Terrified to a resource available at wretched.org will help you overcome your witnessing heebie-jeebies and equip you to be obedient to the Great Commission. Wretched.org slash terrified to. This is a full three loops of food. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make all things? For his glory. How can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. Where do you learn how to love and obey God? In the Bible. What's the Bible? God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. Is there more than one God? No, there is only one God. And how many persons does this one God exist? Three persons. Who are the three persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where is God? God is everywhere. Can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but He always sees me. Who were our first parents? Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? They sinned against God. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. Why did God send Jesus into the world? To save his people from their sins. What did Jesus do to save his people from their sins? He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. From the grave. From the grave. Jesus do after he rose from the grave? He ascended into heaven. Where is Jesus now? He is seated at his father's right hand. And what's Jesus going to do at the end of the age? He's going to come back and judge the world. What must a person do to be saved? Believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? 
good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And how is a person saved? By God's grace alone. And what is grace? God's kindness to the undeserving. undeserving. Still 
Yeah. 
people. Start being good to you. That's not being selfish. That's not arrogant. That's loving yourself. Too many people go through life against themselves, feeling wrong on the inside. I heard someone say, I discovered the enemy, it was me. Are you your enemy? Are you defeating yourself, limiting your dreams? sabotaging your relationship all because you don't like you. You have enough people and circumstances against you. Don't be against yourself. Paul Walker understands sin. With flashy speakers who tell us everything we want to hear so that we can have our best life now because that is indeed what we want more than God. But sin is not merely a decision. It goes all the way into the heart of man, a heart that is fallen, a heart that is can be properly called morally depraved, a heart that is spiritually dead. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme and glory, to tell the old, old story. Of Jesus and his
I've heard this many times. Animals have homosexual relationships. That means yeah. it's natural, therefore it's okay. But where do we get the idea that typical animal behavior is okay for humans? Like, where does this come from? Like, animals eat their babies. Animals steal things all the time. They just constantly steal things. And murder, I mean, no. Like, animal behavior is not the standard for me. This is not a Christian worldview. We're not like the animals. Man was made in the image of God, and we have a higher calling, and we have a different responsibility in creation compared yeah. to animals.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.